Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. We are back again and continuing our series in theological education. This week, we are joined by Dr. Mark Lederbach to discuss pastors and ethics. Dr. Lederbach serves as professor of theology, ethics, and culture at Southeastern. He also serves as the dean of students and vice president for student services. He has written and co-written several books, including most recently, Ethics as Worship, the Pursuit of Moral Discipleship. Dr. Lederbach, thank you again for taking out some time to, to join the conversation and take part in this series. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to be with you guys. So before we get into the discussion, I just have to ask, are, are you a coffee guy? Because I see <laughs> you have Pepsi Zero. Yeah, no, you know, somehow during all my uh, PhD years, that's usually when you get addicted to some mm. form of caffeine. But I never got to coffee. I, I always was in either Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi. So I, around campus, you'll see me carrying a Pepsi Zero Sugar almost all gotcha. the time. I yeah. only ask because this is now officially the earliest episode we've done <laughs> yeah. of Pastor Matters so far. And I'm still trying to get some form of caffeine in my system. So forgive me. I know I know Ron Jor is a major coffee person, anything I yes. know about coffee, I know from him. <laughs> and I'm trying to convince him to open up a coffee shop. Oh, just no. just think, Ron Jor, you could have a coffee shop named Locked In, locked. the Locked In Coffee <laughs> Shop, locked or, or Locked In Loaded, oh, or, my goodness. or the Daily Lock. I don't know. Well, some folks don't don't know this. I'm sure our listeners probably don't uh, know this, but we actually have a professor on campus uh, Tracy McKenzie, uh, who followed that path. And he started a coffee shop and all of that. And it was wonderful. And uh, let's just say he sold the coffee shop and uh, and he's now focusing all of his attention on his uh, on his studies and, and research and scholarship and so on. And I just take that as a uh, as a cautionary tale for myself. <laughs> See, what he was really doing was passing the baton to the next coffee guy. I there think, we go. <laughs> so, so, brother, you have spent time as a student learning and pursuing and education and ethics. Now, now you're teaching it here at Southeastern, and you've written several books on it. So let's just start the conversation with you sharing a little bit about your journey. Why did you decide to pursue work in ethics, and how has ethics formed you not only as a professor but but as a believer? Yeah, you know, I've been here at Southeastern for 22 years teaching ethics, and it's been an absolute joy. But if I go back in time, so I'm 59 now. I, I came to faith as a very young teenager. Um, and in those years, I was heavily involved with a parachurch organization called Young Life during my mm-hmm. high school years. I grew up a Roman Catholic kid, kind of came to saving faith through that ministry. And then in my college years, got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. And the reason why I go back to those two uh, places of ministry is that kind of early on in my formation as a believer, evangelism was tied to life practice. Mm. So how you lived mattered in the high school where you're, you're trying to tell kids about Christ, and then in college, of course, that was the case. But in college years in particular, what was fascinating with my experience with Campus Crusade for Christ, I was at James Madison University, and then I was on staff with them at Virginia Tech. And during those years, there was a lot of door-to-door evangelism in the dorms, a lot of bench-to-bench evangelism in the student center. And in those contexts, when you interact with college students, college students are full of juice, they're full of life, they want to change the world. 
So they would be frequently asking questions that had to do with all the major issues that Mm -hmm. were going on in culture. So evangelism has always, in my mind, been tied to the cultural issues of the day, to be able to speak winsomely to the issues of the day and to be able to then take those towards the gospel. And we had one particular thing we used to do in the college dorms when, uh, when I was with both of those ministries, particularly with crew, is that we would create a context where we'd ask the RAs. They usually every semester would have to do some programs for their students on the dorm floors. So we would go in and tell the RAs, if you're interested, we can have what we'll call the lion's den, where you can skewer the Christians. And we would go into the dorms and uh, basically invite all the students on the dorm floor to just come in and ask all the hard questions that they wanted to. Wow. Uh, and just uh, so in a live environment, we were constantly doing apologetics. And, and so here's the point. Uh, fascinatingly enough, most of the questions they asked were ethics questions. Mm. You know, why, why is there a problem of evil in the world? What do you do with people who don't know Jesus and mm. never heard his name around the globe? What do you think about why did my father die? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Mm. And all of those questions at some level move into ethics. So for me, I've always seen ethics as combined with the, with evangelism and discipleship, and uh, so that really became my passion. Mm, that's really helpful. So, so why is ethics such a vital topic for students and pastors to learn about? You know, what are what are maybe even share some dangers of not having ethics in some form of of, of theological training? Yeah, really a great question. I appreciate you asking it. And I, let me give you two angles on how I think that through. I think many people misunderstand what the what the discipline of ethics is. I think, frankly, most folks hear the word ethics and they think of kind of a glorified Sunday school class of just flat out moralism and behaviorism, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. So we're just going to teach you how to don't drink, don't you go with boys or girls who do for mm-hmm. graduate school credit. And ethics is so much more than that. Really, the the it, what's really important about understanding the field of ethics is learning to see the world through a biblically and theologically formed perspective that then tries to make applications to the way we live day to day in our everyday context on that. So when we think about that, we're really training in the field of ethics people how to see, have a proper worldview and how to work through the lens of Scripture to the daily topics people are facing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really a field that's theology applied. Mm-hmm. It's Bible applied. So in some sense, if we misunderstand that, then it just it can turn into just raw moralism, mm-hmm. which is, of course, what, what burns people out in, in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the second thing, as I've already alluded to it, is that the reason I think it's so important for pastors and students to be engaging is, is that this is where all the questions are happening in culture. People right. are, if you go home for a Thanksgiving dinner or you're having uh, time coming home from college and you're hanging out or some student comes and t- talks to a pastor, it's always something about how far is too far with my girlfriend? Mm-hmm. Uh, is divorce okay in this circumstance? What do you do about someone who's being abused? Hey, my, my grandmother is at the end of her life. How should I think about end-of-life care? You know, All of those questions get us to a place where we can interact with folks. And if we don't have a Christian worldview... Who knows what they're going to hear from us? One mm. of the things that I've actually heard you say is that theology drives drives ethics, drives mm. our ethic. And I think mm. that's exactly what you were yeah. saying there. That's like, right. Theology should drive our ethics. Yeah. So let me let me go after the same question from a, a, maybe some of the dangers if we don't do it correctly, if we don't think about ethics well from our point of view. I, I'd say the default position for the American culture right now is probably you could probably combine it or – split it into possibly two categories. One of them I would describe as utilitarian pragmatism, mm-hmm. and the other one might be uh, kind of a postmodern decide-for-yourselfism, 
which turns into kind of what we sometimes hear is called um, identity politics. If you wanted to do a deep dive on that, it would be kind of a Nietzschean mm-hmm. individualism. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so th- the danger with some of these is that um, if if I as an American grow up with the perspective of whatever works is okay, then I'm going to get into my life and think I'm not going to ask permission. I'm going to ask forgiveness and mm-hmm. I'm just going to do whatever works. Instead of really approaching these questions through, Lord, what would most thrill your heart as I engage this particular issue or this particular topic? And so we want to train people here how to have a, I'm going to ask the question, what maximally glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. through the way that I'm engaging this particular issue instead of just thinking what works, what makes me happy? Because if we get the right idea, if we do worship first, if we ask how we glorify the Lord first, that it will inevitably make us most fulfilled. Mm-hmm. But if we pursue happiness and pragmatism, oftentimes it leads to kind of a bankrupt, boy, this, this wasn't what I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're, we're in a place in our culture where we have to be really careful. We're too much driven by uh, kind of an autonomy, whatever I think is best is what I'm going to do. And uh, we have to train ourselves and our people not to think that way. And that's actually something that you actually share in your book, mm-hmm. that idea of ethics as worship that you wrote with, uh, co-wrote with uh, Evan Lee now, Dr. Evan Lee now. That's right. Um, that y'all released recently, actually. Yeah. Like within the right. last year. In the last year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I think when most people hear ethics, uh, I think you're right that they hear, you know, the rule book, right? The do's and don'ts, you know, the, the thou shalt's and thou shalt nots <laughs> and so on. And, and if they don't think about that, they think about ethical issues, you know. So uh, what does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? What's the Bible say about racism, you know, and, and gender and so on? Mm-hmm. Um, much of that, just my observation, much of that seems reactionary. Yeah. Right. So whatever, you know, we ask these questions because this is what's going on, you know, in, in current events. You know, these are these are the issues of our day. And so we so we deal with those things. And we try to figure out what the Bible says about those things and and so on. And there's a place for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like if we're doing that, we're you know, we're the dog chasing the tail, if you will. You know, we're 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 letting uh, society, if you will, dictate to us how we should read the Bible, you know, in the sense that they're setting the questions mm-hmm. and we're running around answering, you know, the, the, the questions and so on. Is there another way to do ethics and, and think mm-hmm. in terms of pastors? Um, is, is, there a, is there a way to, 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 to provide a framework yeah. uh, where we can, instead of totally being reactionary and just going, you know, what does the Bible say about the things that people are asking? Mm-hmm. If we could kind of be more proactive and say, here's the framework, and yeah. now let's think about these issues within Well, the I love this question because you think about the society we live in, even the way the news cycles roll on, whether whether you watch uh, CNN or Fox and where, wherever you are on the, on the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're kind of trained now to be reactionary and volatile to mm-hmm. uh, what's happening on social media, what's happening in the presidency, mm-hmm. those kind of things. So for us as Christians, I, I would think of it in terms of uh, really uh, being ambidextrous, if you will, in the way we treat theology, or if you want to use a different metaphor, maybe having multiple uh, arrows and a quiver mm-hmm. that we are able to pull out and shoot at the right time. And what I mean by that is that uh, Peter tells us that we have to be ready to make a defense for everything that we come upon. And so 
I'm going to be in a context where someone's going to have a heart issue, and as a pastor, elder, layperson in the church, I want to be trained on how to answer a question when it comes up in a crisis moment. But for pastors in particular, those who would consider themselves disciple makers, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, we see there the mandate for Adam and Eve to use their lives to create culture, Mm -hmm. to shape culture, to be people who are not just reacting, but are actually forming and molding Mm -hmm. the culture there. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that's really wise for pastors or elders or or even the educated layperson, men and women who are leaders in their local church context, for them to be able to be thinking through, what's the long-term perspectives that we want to build into our our congregation um, through men's ministry, through women's ministry, through the preaching of the word by the senior pastor and others? What are the ways that we're going to help shape a worldview so that when people hit a crisis, they're not just reacting according to kind of a worldly perspective on that, but rather if my preaching has hit a tone that over a four and five year course of time, there's a flavor that's in the air and then on individual sermons, I'm giving particular ways to shape that. So right, I think right. kind of a short-term and long-term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're, you've been preaching for a long time. Has that been your experience? Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of the pulpit, first off, just the fact of the matter is uh, in a sermon, I only have so much time. Yeah. So there, there's a lot that I just simply cannot say. There's a lot that I just simply cannot develop uh, and, and so forth. And so I, I do need to speak on certain issues. You know, I do need to... Uh, uh, you know, to to um, use the pulpit in that in that regard and and help our people think, you know, in, in tangible and maybe even immediate ways. Mm-hmm. This is what God says about all of this. You know, we we've got to make sure that we we um, recognize where the standard is. At the same time. I recognize that there's nuance. I recognize that there's all kinds of layers, mm-hmm. you know, under that that I don't have as much time to to deal with when we're talking about every single issue right. known to man. So I think that it is helpful to go, let's get the big picture. Let's understand who God is. Let's understand, you know, uh, uh, the world that God has created. Let's understand who we are as God has created us. Let's understand the dynamics of the fall. Let's understand, you know, the the, the hope and the promise of the gospel, uh, and and you know, let's set a, 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 our sights, if you will, on uh, the age to come, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and let all of that inform us then in terms of how we live our lives now as as believers and how we interact with uh, unbelievers and so on as well. So if I can give that framework, kind of that macro vision, then it's like at least for me, it it frees me up then that I can say, okay, now let's look at this within that context. Yeah. You know, let's look at that within that framework mm-hmm. so that now we're able to uh to to talk about these different things. If we're not if we don't have a shared set of lenses, if you will, mm-hmm. if we don't have a common framework then much of what I'm going to say is going is going to ha- go through their filters anyways, right. and all of a sudden I'm finding myself having to respond to things that I never I never said yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Um, but if we can, if I can help shape us to have that common framework, you know the 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 meta narrative, if you will. Right. Now we can we can talk about you know certain behaviors and certain you know issues and so on that are going on from within that context, and hopefully that'll make more sense. Yeah, and I think really as you think through the role of a pastor, elder, someone who's shepherding in the church context, that I think they we ought to be thinking 
uh, both short and long term in this in the way that we build the structures of the church, right? Mm -hmm. So that the pastor's preaching is a place where some of the discipleship happens, but he's also setting up a context where he's got resources on a website, he's got a bookstore in there, he's got Mm -hmm. places where he's got books that he can hand to people when they need them. He's training his elders so that they're actually able to do these and run Sunday school classes Mm -hmm. that are in an arc of teaching, not just uh, here's what's next, or here's what I'm interested in, but but w- let's think over a five-year period of time. How can we shape the whole contour of the church yeah. to do that? So I, I think those are really helpful. And then, um, we might get into this later, but one of the things that's, thing that's really crucial for this is I'm a, if I'm a pastor, elder, disciple-maker in my local church, I want to give my congregation freedom to ask the hard questions in a safe space here. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we play church so that you can't ask the hard question mm-hmm. or things you're really struggling with. But I want my my congregants to come to me with the hardest questions mm-hmm. for us to work them out in a safe place within the church so that they know how to have the conversation when they move out into their workplace or into their neighborhoods and someone's really struggling with these things. So I think we underestimate the importance of that conversation happening in the local church. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so what does that look like then? I mean, you think of of a pastor um you know who's who's got that responsibility, you know, to 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 set the course if you will, mm-hmm. you know, and and shepherding and guiding the people to think uh you know, to think about right and wrong and and everything in between. <laughs> um how do we do so with wisdom and discernment? I mean, obviously, we can go through uh, the years and we can think of things that you know pastors have stood up for and they, they took a stand and all of that, and it didn't age well. Uh, you know, you you look back and you go, "Wow, you know, you you really did call for that boycott of Disney, didn't you?" You know, yeah. back in the '90s or whatever. And everybody needs to do that. Every believer needs. To. Obviously, there's some room to go. Okay, let me step back and let me think wisely about this. Let me let me think to you know with discernment on this. How do we do that? Uh, and guard ourselves, you know, when we're thinking uh, about ethical issues. But then also, how do we shape our people and, and guide our people to think wisely, too? Yeah, let, let me since you raised that particular issue back mm-hmm. with the Disney boycott, and since we're at a time now where, of course, Disney's all over the news right again yeah, now. They're right? back. Just yeah. to speak to that really quickly, I do mm-hmm. think there are really important times for the uh, church to stand up and just simply say no to the culture. Sure. And whether or not a boycott is actually effective is really not the best question. Sometimes the best question is simply what's the right thing for the church to stand on, whether it's effective or not, mm-hmm. um, because it's it's what would be most thrilling to the heart of God for us to stand for something. So it might be on issues of, of gender and sexuality now with Disney, and, and you know, and, and that's what it was years that's what ago. Was there. Yeah. But even if we were to go back in history and think through issues of, of racism, mm-hmm. there are times when the church uh, just needed to stand whether or not it worked or not. And unfortunately, we don't have the greatest track record. But mm-hmm. those are places where that's really important. But your question, I think, is even more profound. It's it's really wise for us to think. And it goes a little bit back to what we were saying before. Let me, let me switch the metaphor. Mm-hmm. When I think about what it's like for me to be a father in my home or for me to be an elder in my church, I want to be thinking about elevator music. So here's what I mean by elevator music. <laughs> when you step onto an elevator where um, you walk into a nice hotel, there's usually background music that's playing. Mm-hmm. And you don't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. But you might walk out on the street and 30 minutes later, you're kind of humming this tune. Right. Yeah. right? Yeah. So well, I, I want to ask as a father and as a pastor, what's the tune that my congregation's going to be humming Mm-hmm. When they walk out of my church mm-hmm. sometime in the middle of the week because we've had background music playing for decades. Yeah. 
What is that kind of tone there? That's good. And if I can shape a context where my preaching, again, long and short term, is there's a, a long-term arc of we live for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever I do, whether I eat or drink, I do all to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm singing that over my family and over my congregation for decades. And then on the on the more weekly basis, I'm, I'm training. Let's say I, I teach through the book of Ephesians. Well, Ephesians, I'm going to give the first three on how to see that long arc, the first three chapters. The, the last three chapters, we're going to dive into particular issues here because the text is taking us there, yeah. and we want to know how to do that within our culture. So yeah. I think for me as a, as a pastor, if I can be thinking through that, maybe that'll help me avoid just raw behaviorism with a lot of do's and don'ts rules, mm-hmm. and rather place the the commands of Scripture within the larger context of God's desire for us to live and flourish in his lordship. Mm. You know, that's that um, saying that reminded me, too, um, that as as a pastor, and, and as you're thinking about your people, because we're in the same boat on this, uh, we have limitations. Mm. Um, I, I was, Brandon and I were talking the other day about Ecclesiastes and one of the things that I think is so profound about Ecclesiastes, at least one of the things that that you'll you'll see over and over again, is that uh, we have several issues. Um, you know, we're we're fallen, we're under the curse of death. Uh, you know, and as he's kind of painting the picture of life under the sun. But one of the things that he points out in there too is just the fact that we're human, mm. and as humans, we are limited creatures. Mm. And what's interesting in Ecclesiastes is that's not a bad thing. You know, it's it it's it's frustrating. <laughs> it certainly is. You know, there are things I wish that I knew that I just don't know. Yeah. You know, there are things that I wish I could understand. I don't understand them. Why? Because I'm a human. Uh-huh. And right. I don't think he's saying it necessarily right. in a bad thing, but he's saying it in the sense of we need to recognize the realities of the fact that we're human beings. You know, we're fallen human beings, but even without the fall, we're still limited. Yeah. Uh, and, and so in terms of these different issues, it's – if I could say it this way, it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> you know, it's okay to go, you know, it made sense back then, but now, you know, 20 years later, I look back and I realize, okay, I was off. Yeah. Well, I can't go back 20 years ago and and correct it. I can't, you know, I have no DeLorean or anything like that. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just the reality of it all. And recognize the limitations that, you know, I am, I have to make a stand on something. Yeah. I don't have to make the same kind of stand in terms of firmness and conviction and so on. Uh, some things I absolutely need to. And then there are other things where I go, this is kind of where I am right now. Yeah. And uh, and it, you know, it may change, you know, a couple of years from now or so on, uh, you know, given more information and, and, you know, more understanding and knowledge and, and things like that. But recognize our limitations, you know, and live within the 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 wise boundaries, if you yeah. will, you know, when we're making decisions and leading people in that way. You know, we're, I'm 22 years into being at Southeastern, a professor of ethics. That means I started in my mid-30s, mm-hmm. right? And in my mid-30s, I thought I was the smartest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. Now I'm at the end of my 50s, and I realize how dumb I was then and how much I have to learn now. But I still taught with heavy conviction, mm-hmm. right? So I'm in front of a class, and I'm teaching strong things. And and now 22 years later, I might look back and say, boy, I wish I had softened that, or I wish I had said this differently, or I wish right. I had spoken right. Or to your point, maybe I was just flat wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think what we've done in our culture is we've, because of the way social media will go backwards now and find something you said 20 years ago and skewer you and maybe even sue you now, right. 20 mm-hmm. years later, 
we're, we're living in fear. But I, I look at how Paul writes his epistles, right? And he, he describes himself as the chief of sinners. Yeah. He describes himself as a man who was a persecutor of the church. And yet, by God's grace, he, he is now something different. And mm-hmm. I, I wonder if we in the church, just even in the way we model as pastors and elders, if we're modeling what godly repentance looks like over yeah. an arc of time as well as in specific contexts. You exactly. Know? We exactly. play too much church. Hey, Southeastern family, this May we want to ask you to consider supporting Southeastern by praying, sending, and giving. We want to ask you to remember these three dates. On May 13th, we will celebrate graduation on our campus. Please pray for the 273 new Southeastern graduates as they go well-equipped to wherever God calls them. Sunday, May 15th is Seminary Sunday on the SBC calendar. Please take this opportunity to share Southeastern with others and to recommend us to any men and women seeking to pursue theological education. Finally, on May 19th, we will recognize our charter date with a day of giving. Generous donors have provided a $25,000 matching gift challenge for this day. Please consider giving to support our students and remember that every dollar given is one less dollar a student will need to pay in tuition. So this may join us in our mission to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission by praying for our graduates, sending students to be equipped, and by giving. Because you pray, send, and give, we are going. So we've kind of hinted at a couple of different examples, but what what are some some examples of some pressing ethical issues mm-hmm. we are currently experiencing as a culture? Because you just kind of open the front door and there's right. just there's just chaos. Right. It seems like. Yeah. So you've just invited me back to another interview, right? Because right, right. you got so many of these kind of things. <laughs> but to answer your question, as you asked it, I probably would tell our listeners to think in terms of both uh, short term burners and long-term burners, right? So when we think of the short-term issues, just over the last couple of years, what happened between George Floyd and COVID Mm -hmm. is enough to occupy us for for a long time to come. So I mean, you think you've got got gender issues that are in play. You have bathroom issues, whether or not we're going to be able to have people sharing bathrooms, um, transgenderism, LGBTQ. Um, You've got questions of race, immigration, government intrusion into personal decision-making. Mm-hmm. And that happens on all kinds of things. One of the things on that kind of hot burner issue that's fascinated me since COVID is how how uh, schizophrenic most of us evangelicals have been in the way we argued about masks. Now, I'm not going to tell you my opinion about that here. I My job is to actually think through how people are thinking. Mm-hmm. And what fascinated me about masks is that Christians, many evangelicals, were making the argument that basically keep your laws off of my body. Mm-hmm. So that's the exact way that the abortion right. uh, community, right. the pro-choice community, has made their arguments. And so yeah. one of the things we have to be careful of is, in, to back to your early questions, mm-hmm. being careful in how we think about our ethics. If if it's my body, my face, you, you can't mandate a mask on me. Is that really, in essence, the same way we're arguing mm-hmm. for pro-choice on abortion? Right. So right. that's a place where we have to be really careful and train our people really well. And, and for us to, as Americans to not just think our personal rights trump everything. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a big thing. On the long-term ones, of course, you have you have questions that uh, are pressing short-term and long-term. You take, for example, um, the Russian-Ukrainian war. What's what's the right thing for us to do in that context? Not only for those who are Ukrainians making a defensive 
war, mm -hmm. but what's the United States and NATO's values? That, those are all ethics questions. They get to just war theory, right? Mm -hmm. You talk about end-of-life decision-making, and you have around the globe heavy pushes for right-to-die movements. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when that comes to the United States, and it's already in many of our states, Oregon being the most uh, avant-garde in the United States on this, how does a pastor train this congregation to think about end-of-life decision-making? Yeah. Um, probably the one that's most interesting that we could talk about from the way the world sees it versus the way evangelicals see it is environmentalism. Mm. And what's fascinating about this particular topic is that if you were to do a survey and look around the globe of one of, one of the top five or six issues that people are concerned about globally, it's environmentalism. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about evangelicals, it doesn't even show up on their radar. They're not interested right. in the conversation right. at all. And what's tragic about that, whether or not there's a real crisis, what that means is we're not speaking to an issue that the world is talking about. Mm -hmm. So it's really wise for us to be thinking, okay, if I'm going to be a winsome evangelist in this world and I don't even pay attention to what the world's asking, yeah. that, that's not wise. Yeah. Right? So those would be some ways I'd answer your question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like... Uh, the the response to, you know, kind of the climate folks and environmental mm -hmm. and so on, uh, it's almost as if we've 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 cut too much off, yeah. you know, so that Genesis one and two all of a sudden doesn't have a place, right. you know, in in the conversation or anything like that. There's a way I think to care for creation and to steward the creation. Uh, and and use the resources that God has blessed us with wisely, uh, and things like that. With that 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 avoids uh, the worship of creation. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so we do it because we worship the Creator. <laughs> yeah. Some of our uh, listeners yeah. may be interested for us to get into that. We don't have time today, but I can give you a, like a one minute on this. And mm -hmm. I think for a Christian, if you look at Psalm twenty four one, mm -hmm. it's it's extremely clear. This is my Father's world. Yeah. So when I think about visiting my parents, if I were to go home to my parents' house and just throw my trash on the floor, uh, leave uh, all kind of stuff on the walls and just think, oh, it's they're just going to clean it anyway or it's all going to burn someday anyway, I've not really honored my parents' home. Sure. Right. So if this is my father's world, the way I need to live in it is a way that my father would be proud of me as, a, as one of his children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think if we start there – then we don't have to worry about the worship of a tree. Mm -hmm. We rather wonder how we can treat a tree to the glory of God, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. there's a whole different approach that we can go after that. Yeah, yeah. And that really leads to, the, to our next question. What, uh, you know, is the goal of ethics just simple, you know, change behavior, you know, stop yeah. doing this, start doing that, you know, or so on? Or, and I think, I think you're, you're hinting at it with, uh, with what you just said, is there a greater goal? You yeah. know, is there a greater vision here? Yeah. Uh, without getting too technical, the way I think we should think about the issue of, or, of, of our own moral formation and thinking through the, the, uh, how to make ethical decision makings, when you, when you behave properly or when you live properly before the Lord, there's, there's a couple factors into it. We need to have the right ultimate motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, to use the fancy word for that in the field of ethics is that you have to have the right telos or the right goal, right mm -hmm. end, right? So and that would be to, to maximally glorify God. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, the scripture tells us in Romans 8 that we need to be conformed to the image of God. And so when we think about ethics, then we want to shape our moral character. And what we would talk about here is virtues mm -hmm. that we want to build into our own life as well as avoiding vices. Those would be long-term habits or patterns in the way that we think and behave. 
So we want to maximally glorify God as our goal. We want to become people that are morally formed in our character. And the way that we know whether we're actually becoming morally formed well is that we obey the commands of Scripture. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you take, in, for example, in our culture, people say, oh, you should be compassionate. And it's compassionate to give extra morphine to someone who's dying to put them out of their misery. Well, no, that's actually not compassionate. That's mm-hmm. actually a, uh, someone has stolen the word yeah. and put something else in there. What would be truly compassionate is to honor the, the uh, sixth commandment to not murder. Mm-hmm. So in those particular contexts, then we understand that, that a proper way to live is maximally glorifying God by becoming a certain kind of person. And the way I become that person is by obeying the commandments. Mm-hmm. Let me give you another example of that just to kind of put some uh, rubber to the road on this. Is Think about marriage in our culture, right? Well, we want to live our marriage because marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church, so we live it to the glory of God. I need to become the kind of man who is sacrificially living for my wife, as the Scripture says in Ephesians 5. She should learn to respect me. I should learn to love her. But now the question comes, can two people of the same gender marry each other? Mm-hmm. Well, if, if you if you want to be the kind of person that maximally glorifies God and has the right character, then how would you know whether you're actually doing it? Well, you obey the commandments. And the commandments, the scriptures are very clear that marriage is for one man mm-hmm. and one woman for life. Mm-hmm. Right. So what we would say then is that a so-called gay marriage is actually not a marriage at all. And for us to say, well, they love each other. Well, there might be a motive love that's involved with that. I'm not denying that people can have genuine affection for one another. But is that true biblical love? Mm-hmm. Well, the way we would know that is what the scriptures would teach about that. And right. so these are some places where properly thinking about ethics can help us with these day-to-day questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, uh, having the right definitions of things, yeah. you know, uh, defining things the way the way God is defining them, you know, uh, seeing things as, and, and I keep going back to creation, seeing things as the creator sees them, right. you know, and and uh, using his creation as he intended for his creation right. to be used, yeah. you know, and so on, whether we're talking about our bodies or we're talking about, you know, the, the you know, the earth's resources, natural resources and things like that. Um, the creator has the biggest say mm-hmm. <laughs> in how we and how yeah. we live our lives and how we uh, live in creation and uh, and yeah yeah uh, we ought to be the voice for that so l- let me let me switch gears a little bit so so think about uh, just the 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 climate that we live in right you know uh, and by this I mean our, our cultural climate cultural context. So, you know, we are known as Southern Baptists for uh, for church splits. <laughs> We're known for, you know, obviously, you know, Southern Baptists began in 1845 over the issue of slavery. Uh, you think about, um, you know, the culture wars and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of all of that going on, you know, uh, even even uh, political involvement and, and, and perhaps even intrusion, some may, may say strongly, um, and, and, and just all of these things that are going on. And so there's a question. It's kind of the elephant in the room, mm-hmm. and, and that is why in the world would anybody go to a Southern Baptist, you know, for ethics, you know, yeah. given, you know, what we see on social media, given what we've what we've seen historically and so on. Um, ha, you are a Southern Baptist right. and you are an ethicist. Yeah. And so uh, 
how do you get students? <laughs> well, uh, who you, reads your books, Mark? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's fascinating that you asked that question. I, I think, uh, sadly, I think some of these these some of these very examples that you bring up, I think, paint us in a picture that's not actually accurate. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now there are there is there is truth to this. Uh, you know, if you go back to the beginning of the convention, Southern Baptist Convention, I, I would actually make the argument that we started the convention based on world missions. Mm-hmm. But we also have centers who were engaged with slavery, right? Mm-hmm. So you have in the human experience, you have the best and the worst happening in some of the exact same places, right? Uh, Jim Crow laws going through there. You had some church members standing well. You had others who were locked into their cultural frame of reference and couldn't get out of it, right? So nowadays we have uh, sexual abuse scandals. We have church splits, all these things that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And yet in the middle of all these places, you have a loving Savior who's redeemed broken sinners who are trying to do their best to, mm. to bring that message to the globe. Sure. Right. So one of the things that I've, uh, I'm convictionally a Southern Baptist. I grew up Roman Catholic. I chose to be a Southern Baptist as an adult. And the reason I've been here, and I've been here for 22 years, is that I believe that Southern Baptists have been able to mobilize world evangelism and world missions in a way that's unparalleled. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we are a kind of people that with all of our flaws— if we understand and teach the gospel well, we recognize the problem isn't our flaws. The, the problem is that all humans are sinful mm-hmm. and they need the gospel message. And so even mm-hmm. through our brokenness, we're going to take that message. Yeah. And hopefully along the way, we'll have enough humility to listen and conp- confess and repent and, and, again, quit playing church. Now, we haven't been great at that part, mm-hmm. right? We play church. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of have the holier than now at times. But I think one of the reasons why we want to do ethics well here is each one of the professors that teaches ethics here begins with two premises. One, they are the chief of sinners. Mm-hmm. So when I teach ethics, I start from that premise. I'm the worst sinner in the room. The other premise I start with is that the world needs the gospel. Yeah. So every classroom is a great commission classroom. Yeah. And so for that reason, if, if God can save me, then he can save anybody. So let's have the right conversations mm-hmm. and let's bring the gospel to bear in every one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, uh, as you were talking about the best in the, you know, the best of worlds, both uh, uh, best and worst of the worlds and so on. Um, one of the things that I, I tell folks when we talk about the history of Southern Baptists as I say, there were people who were speaking out. Mm-hmm. You know, there were people who were writing books. There were people who were who were taking a stand, mm-hmm. and so on. And as you typically see, I mean, you see it all throughout Scripture. Um, the ones who take a stand are typically a remnant. Right. You know, they're yep. typically That's a right. minority of people. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's not a large group, but it's a group, and we always need to pay attention to, mm-hmm. you know, to them and and be fair with the with the facts. You know yeah. that that they do exist, they did exist, and so on. And so, even in terms of the issue of uh, of racism, segregation, and 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 all of that, um, I tell folks one of the most influential books in that time uh, by a Southern Baptist was by an ethicist. You know this very well, uh, 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 T. B. Maston, yeah. um, over at Southwestern back in 1950. Who wrote uh, the Bible and race, mm-hmm. uh, where he made a clear biblical um, uh, uh, statement on 
you know, uh, on segregation and the and and seeing it as evil, you know, based off of what he did, you know, or what he saw in reading through the the biblical narrative, and so that does exist, you know, uh, that book is there, yeah. you know, uh, sure. he he did speak up and so on. Um, w- should there have been more? Well, sure, certainly there should have been more, but let's not pretend like there were none. Yeah, and I think on the other side of that too, I think not only should there have been more of that. The thing that uh, Southern Baptists have always done is they've done world missions well, and we've done mm-hmm. evangelism well. And so for for all the churches that did the social issues well, they many of them weren't doing any evangelism at all. Mm-hmm. So there's a place where all of us need to learn from each other to keep the gospel centered, keep preaching the word centered, but then ask this incredibly important question that you're asking, does my stated belief uh, have a defense from my actual practices? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where the world of, of evangelism and morality come together, is if I'm yeah. going to preach this message, I need to live this message. Mm-hmm. And we'll frankly be pursuing being better at that for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. All of us will be. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So you have been here at Southeastern for years now, yeah. teaching and also serving in a leadership position here mm-hmm. at the school. If you could just share a little bit about how Southeastern has helped you equip students in this area of ethics but even beyond that, yeah. a- as you prepare them, as you shape them to go out, knowing that all of them aren't going to be concentrating on ethics moving forward, mm-hmm. but that ethics is going to play a big part in them fulfilling the Great Commission. So if you could just share a little bit about that. Well, it's helped me in the sense that it's given me the platform in order to be able to, to do what I think I was made to do, and that is to make disciples. Right. You know? So uh, people ask me what my training is. It's ethics. What my soul is is a disciple maker. Mm. And if you come to Southeastern, you're going to bump into professors that that's simply who we are. We, we do evangelism, we do discipleship, and we happen to do it through our areas of specialty on this. So for me, I love the question. Um, you know, when, when a student comes into my class, I want them to be blown away by the glory of God. Mm. Uh, sorry, I get emotional when I think about how, yeah. how stunning it is for us to have the privilege to study God himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in, if I can expose my students to the wonder of the greatness of God, um, that'll motivate a soul to go out and tell this message to the world. It'll help us to think through why it matters that a person who's struggling with gender dysphoria and LGBTQ plus issues, they're a person. Mm-hmm. They're not an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they need a savior. Just like I needed a savior, their struggle's a little different than mine. But if God could rescue me, God can rescue them, and God can rescue the culture we live in for his own glory. So Southeastern's a place where we're training people to, to win the world for Christ. Mm. We, you know, our, our, our logo is go. If you had a subtitle, for my opinion, my subtitle would be go, make disciples, change the world. And that's what we're about here, and we do that through our specialties, and I've just had the privilege to do it through ethics. Well, brother, thank you so much just for the work that you've done for our school, the way you've invested in our students, and just the way you lead this institution. Uh, And thank you again for joining us for today's discussion. If you want a solid resource uh, on this topic, consider adding Ethics is Worship, the Pursuit of Moral Discipleship to your library. I promise uh, you won't regret it. If you're listening and you're interested in starting or continuing your theological education, consider Southeastern. We have several degrees focusing on ethics, including our MA in Ethics, Theology, and Culture. 
come study with our fantastic ethics faculty, which includes Dr. Lederbach, uh, Dr. David Jones, and Dr. Daniel Heimbach. You can learn more about what Southeastern can offer by visiting sebts.edu. As always, we want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this conversation helpful, uh, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear any feedback that you would be willing to give us. It is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, friends, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.